The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Gracious God, we come before you uh, praying that in these moments together uh, we will hear your word. Lord, may uh, the words of my mouth, may the meditations of my heart be words of life and truth as we explore uh, this passage together. Guide us not just to come away with a sense of what Psalm 78 requires of us, but Lord, what are you require of our lives. Now, I'm not one who pays that much attention to sport. Uh, I, I watch about as much as I play of it, which is not that much. But occasionally, I dabble. And particularly uh, when the Olympics are on, that great world event, the best of the world on show. Uh, who else caught themselves watching like curling, the skeleton, or like some other extreme version of skiing you never knew existed? One of them has died. And so, um, I want to draw your attention, perhaps away from the Winter Olympics towards the Summer Olympics, the 4x100 relay. And it brings me perhaps more pleasure than it should pointing out the American men's relay team track record, or, or perhaps better stated, lack of track record. Not an Olympic win for the guys since 2000. And I, again, make no claim to be an expert, but there does seem to be one thing they consistently struggle with, passing on the baton. You know, they might have are some of the best in the world on their team. And even they came in with the fastest team. But if they don't pass on the button, or no matter, no one, no matter the talent, the capacity, and the resources, if you can't pass on the button, there is no success, no victory, and in many ways, no future. So keep this action in mind that passing on the button as we open Psalm 78 together. And we're going to read starting from verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark things from the old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We do not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord, and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the work of God, but keep this commandment. Amen. 
reputation not for the right for fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart is not steadfast, whose spirit is not faithful to God. I want to propose that the Christian life is about passing on the baton of faith to the next generation. And to encourage us in this task, I propose that Psalm 78 positions us to look back, to look forward. So by looking back, we can see forward with the two competing pictures of the future. Here are the two competing pictures. So future one, looking back to Psalm 78, it gives us this grand vision of each generation as far as the children's grandchildren being handed to baton and running with resilient faith. Now, energy can arise in churches when we talk about the next emerging generation of young people. The Bible goes bigger. It's a grand intergenerational relay of faith transmission. Faith impacts far beyond one lifetime or one generation. There's a legacy to faith in Jesus. And I hope that this potential, that it arises passion for us, that the vision of your children's grandchildren, perhaps you might never meet, loving Jesus, encouraging, encourage and motivate you to the sacrifices that might be necessary to follow to contribute to that future. It's that first future. Grandchildren's children loving Jesus. But there's a second future possibility given back in Psalm 78. It's the second competing picture. And we can sort of see its contrast to the first one in verse 7 through to verse 8. The alternative picture is that of an emerging stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation without hope. And perhaps before we go too quickly to know and mention that as the future, Note that that's a picture they draw from the past in this time. The concern of this passage is not that no button will be passed on, but rather that the wrong button will be passed on. A button not of faith, but of forgetfulness. The glorious things of the Lord will inspire faith, or they will be forgotten. A neutral option is not on the table, and this is the responsibility of each generation. We need to have both passion but a feasible slowness for what is at stake. So what picture will describe North Palm Baptist Church? Are we a church in which even our children's grandchildren will love Jesus? Inspired by those glorious deeds of the Lord, or will we raise up a stubborn and rebellious generation without faith? Will be passed now, these two pictures are going to be developed throughout the rest of the psalm. If you want a bit of trivia, Psalm 78 is the second largest psalm of the Bible. We've got time, right? We can read it together. What we'll do, uh, we'll do a sprint through. We're going to start, we've already read our introduction, verses 1 to 8. Next comes verses 9 to 36, and it's kind of the body part 1. So it contrasts the glorious and active wonder of God, active deeds of God, against a stubborn and rebellious generation. And to, and to illustrate the point, the psalm presents both a highlights real and a lowlights real. 
the moment from Israel was from Egypt. So the glorious deeds of the Lord are on display in their time in the desert. That God is the highlight reel here. Talks about how God stays in the crossing of the Red Sea, guides by cloud and fire, sustains providing water and rock and manna to eat, and even meat. Although if you want to investigate that particular provision of meat, it's the kind of story that could turn any bacon lover into a vegan. The people are the low-right leader. Here's a summary of what a stubborn and rebellious generation gets up to in the desert. Sinning, rebelling, testing, demanding more, refusing to trust, doubting God's saving power, persisting in sinning and coming up again, not believing in the face of miracles, turning to God only when fearing death, flattery and lying to God, unfaithful, promise breakers. It's not a task in Hosea and verse 37 summarizes for us, and then the next two verses become the turning point, at least not so much of the people, but of God's response in this passage. So verse 37, I think the summary of people. Their heart was not steadfast towards him, talking to God. They were not faithful to his covenant. And verse 38, the turning point, yet he, being compassionate, Claims for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were like flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. Our next chunk is verses 40 to 72, the end of the time. It's our 40 chapter. Uh, they cycle through another round of high life and low life reels. Again, the glorious deeds of the Lord are highlighted, but this time focusing sort of dust from Egypt through to the time of David. And it's, it's kind of this whirlwind 500 years forward. Again, the glorious deeds of the Lord are highlighted. So, God does one of the miracles that refers back to the ten plagues and flood, flies, frogs, locusts, hail, firstborns. Our God is the shepherd God, guiding them through their time in the desert. He's the lead giver as they enter into the promised land. And he's the rejecter of false worship and bringer of judgment as he protects the purity of his people. So again, in contrast, a stubborn and rebellion generation, they describe as testing, rebelling, rule breakers, treacherous, and provoking God to anger. They haven't changed even as God's response to anger. And verses put about any chunk of the section, verses 39 to 72. They put some meat on that turning point in verse 38. Meat on the bones of God's atoning passion. And so there's two big pictures that these last six verses introduce. The first is that of the temple, that center of God's presence and of the atoning sacrificial, sacrificial system. And the second image is that of David, the shepherd king. He's introduced, he's expected to uprightly guide God's people. And both the kind of an introduction that foreshadowing God's salvation plan that will be fulfilled in Jesus. With the echoes of that in those verses. 
And so in time, suddenly, it becomes a blind but new picture of God and people. People are the God is faithful. God is the good news we need in this moment because despite human faithfulness, faithlessness, even on an intergenerational scale, we're talking 500 years of not being a God. God is with his people. He's compassionate. He is the goodness in an incredible display of mercy and grace. That's time setting out in, in a sprint, but let's not drop the button like the Americans while we run. What's the point to pass on? Where do we sit? Before we get too focused on perhaps the state of young people, that's the children, let alone looking forward and far beyond ourselves to our children's grandchildren, let's take stock of ourselves. God invites us and gives us the words to confess an honest assessment of ourselves. God knows the struggle of people to be steadfast and faithful to his covenant. He's lifted out repeatedly on this grand intergenerational scale. The Old Testament stories are from Egypt to David, but beyond, testifies to this reality. God knows that we don't get a pass from God. We don't live up to the responsibility that God designed us to bear. To our every failure, to fully use the life that God has given us. It's his honor and glory deserves life and destruction. But God is giving you. God is compassionate. God offers atonement for his people. God puts into action access to forgiveness. And this coming Easter season is absolutely a time to reflect on God's saving intervention. Jesus says in his death, the wrath and destruction warranted for God's people. To be the cross of Good Friday is an act of compassionate love that also satisfies God's justice, the means of making a And on Resurrection Sunday, we remember that Jesus rose to new life. As God's people come with Christ to Jesus, we too have access to a new start. A new start not defined by our failure but rather defined by Jesus' success. Jesus is the long-awaited, upright shepherd and bride, anticipated in those closing verses in the Psalm. So we fit into the Bible story of humanity's dismal failure, yet God's glorious success. It's a story of love and justice, of new starts, with Jesus as our trusted God and Savior. Jesus is Jesus of God's story, but the Jesus of God's story is the fact and faith that we must pass on. As we embody faith in God, as we fit into God's story, as we make it our own, we have something of substance and experience to pass on. So now let's consider the state of our young people. How are we going at passing on the button of faith? I'm going to do that to be asking friends in ministry, young people. Um, now, in this particular context, we're grabbing out of some American research. 
And really, my understanding is that uh, the daughter is compatible to Australia. Uh, we're heading in the same trends in the same direction, even if there might be some variance in specific numbers. I try not to get bogged down in the numbers as joyful as that would be for me. We try and make it real possible. Um, and if you want a great book on this, Faith for Exiles by Kahneman and McClintock. Um, and they've got a few theories that explore these kind of issues. But here's our context. The typical American young person uh, spends nearly 20 times using 20 times more using screen-driven media than taking in spiritual content. Now, that's the typical American. Um, I feel like I'm bagging American here, but that's okay. That's all. Um, for the young church goer, because they're in the church, it's still 10 times more cultural intake than spiritual intake. But in real time, if we're going to spend 90 minutes together here, the typical young person is spending 15 hours receiving other cultural insights. Think YouTube, TikTok, Instagram influencers. All this world of cultural influence putting so much pressure on them in a 10 to 1 ratio. Now, amongst American 19 to 29 year olds, Here's what's happening amongst those who grew up within Christianity. There is people who identify growing up as Christians. 22% are ex-Christians. They don't identify. They don't identify as Christians, although they want to be. 30% are unchurched. They identify as Christians, but they haven't attended church in the last month. 38% of church goers, so they attend at least once in the last month, and 10% are what they describe as resilient disciples. So they're engaged with church, they're committed to Jesus, they want to see God change society. So let's put that in real terms. I read that as a 50% dropout rate for young people from church. That means one in five young adults who sincerely grew up in a gospel sharing environment and now it's not that they're in church somewhere else or a place down the road, they no longer identify as Christians, one in five. And that's for those that are already grew up in the building, not including those outside of it. That's crushing. And look, let's, let's pretend for a moment that the, the stats in Australia are better than that. Let's say that they're you know, only half as bad. And I'd suggest that's on the list. That's incredible. I've read for the families here, who for one in five, it's not a statistic, it's a name. It's a son, it's a daughter. It's a grandchild, it's a brother, it's a sister, it's a friend. And can we ever church just pause and feel the gravity of this moment together? Can we respond in prayer? Maybe that means doing something different and pausing in the middle of a sermon to pray, but I think it's important to respond in this way. We know the message. 
I would say can you pray in the quiet of our hearts that I suspect for many that it's not a quiet heart that they feel, that it's a raging storm of their dreams. Can we invite God's Holy Spirit to minister into this group and to ask God to act in His mercy and grace? So can we take a moment, about 60 seconds, please pray by name, pray for those around you who for whom that name is famous. We entrust you with those who are most precious to us. We came to seek the rest of the and together we can declare Amen. Regardless of the percentage, the point is clear the pattern of faith isn't always getting past us. And so the question arises who's responsible? Not for blame, but just so that we can see better outcomes. We want to see the very disciples raised up here, to engage with church, who are committed to be, who want to see God's work in society. And we want each generation to have grandchildren's children and beyond loving Jesus. This is our mission and hope. So who's responsible? Well, the two easiest parties to single out would be the youth pastor and the parents. But to single out either one would be an act for the church and an incredible and necessary privilege. Plan 78 invites all of God's people to take part in the ancient relay of intergenerational faith transmission. We're all on the same team here. Every one of you is needed for us to get the button from the start to the finish line. Each one of you can be a voice of the gospel, modeling the practices, portability, and priority of a relationship with Jesus. And our young people need your example. They need you to expose the deep inner workings of your faith, a vulnerable, risky position I know, but necessary. But they have desperate for worthy examples to imitate. And if you want to get a sense of how much young people are risky imitators, um, I'm easily confident that in less than five minutes on any sharing, micro video sharing platform, I think YouTube Shorts, TikTok, and the 20 other ones that young people are actually on, you will find a young person imitating risky behavior. Some kind of challenge. 
and this is going to date me a little bit but, um, by this reference, but think uh, ice bucket. Think plain things. Uh, from a few weeks back, it was called blackout, where you inadvisably hold your breath until you black out. You can see how that goes wrong. Young people are like ants to honey, who get a bit late before, for example, sticking their feet. How much better is it? So worthy examples, please make yourself present. Please don't hide away, but tell the coming generation of the glorious deeds of the Lord as I stand and tell you. Command your thoughts to do. Tell of God's might and the wonders he has done. Tell of God's presence. Of Jesus the guiding and upright shepherd. In a world of ten times more cultural influence and spiritual input, we need every example from every angle for young people to have access to. Young people are under huge pressure to confirm this world. But there is so much potential as they learn to navigate that complexity, learn to be incredible disciples to Jesus. It is giving the opportunity to impact their generation, but also up into the generation before them in such incredible ways. So teach them what your trust in God looks like in your generation, but also learn them what is needed to trust in God in their generation, that they might be the same third generation after them and beyond. We are not without hope. God is good news. So let us remember and proclaim the work and word of God and faithfully keep his commandment. Let us pass on the battle together. God, you are good news. You are our prayer. And we want this to be the story of this world. Lord, guide us to proclaim it with truth, with love, and with repentance. Lord, help us be present as examples worthy to be imitated, knowing that that expects more of us. But Lord, that it is worth the single commitment. Let us pass on the baton together. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.